I'm Dr. Vanessa Sinclair, and this is Rendering Unconscious. My guest today is Elena Petrovska, a PhD student in clinical psychology at Adelphi University Derner School of Psychology. As with all Rendering Unconscious podcast episodes, there is a video accompanying this episode at YouTube. Just visit Trapart Films' YouTube channel. That's T-R-A-P-A-R-T film at YouTube or search for Rendering Unconscious Podcast. Links to everything can be found in the text accompanying this episode. You can visit my website, drvanessasinclair.net or the podcast main website, renderingunconscious.org for links and more information. You can also follow me on Twitter and Instagram at rawsin underscore. That's R-A-W-S-I-N underscore. Rendering Unconscious is also a book. Rendering Unconscious, Psychoanalytic Perspectives, Politics, and Poetry. From Tripart Books 2019. For more information, you can visit our publisher's website, trapart.net. That's T-R-A-P-A-R-T dot net. You can support the podcast at our Patreon, patreon.com forward slash Vanessa23Carl. That's V-A-N-E-S-S-A 2-3-C-A-R-L. Your support is very appreciated. Thank you so much for supporting Rendering Unconscious Podcast and all of my other creative endeavors. Yeah, so I think my earliest memory of, um, you know, being aware of becoming interested in psychoanalysis was in high school when I took my first ever psychology course. So that was um, advanced placement psychology. And the main topic that really interested me was that week when we were discussing uh, Freud and, and all about you know, Freud. And I think it felt good to feel like I was um, contrarian in a way and loving Freud and psychoanalysis when it wasn't taught to us in a way that encouraged the loving of that. (laughs) Yeah, they were saying that he was outdated. Yeah. And cocaine always gets brought up one way or another. (laughs) So. It's really true, but they leave out that that was pretty, it was pretty common at the time. You know? Right. That's what doctors were doing. Right. It wasn't like cocaine now. Exactly. And something, something clicked. I don't know. Maybe it was my, my upbringing, my traditional Macedonian upbringing that really, um, you know, made something click for me. And I really connected to to the material. And then when I started my undergrad, um, I actually transferred to Lang at the new school. I was studying legal studies and then I 
transferred to Lang um, for literary studies. And then I took this course with Jameson Webster, which was phrased as a question, which I also loved. It was why Freud? And it was asked in multiple ways. And from then, I mean, I, I picked up Freud and I never really put him down. I love that. I love yeah. Freud too, as you know. I do, yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't be doing this if you didn't. <laughs> That's great too. I'm glad that Jameson and I are spreading the love of Freud. Yeah, yeah, as should be. And it's great that she teaches those classes at the at the new school at Lang um, in undergrad. She has a Y Freud, like intro to Freud course. And um, she asked me to guest professor, be the guest professor for a class that she taught on gender, sexuality, and perversion also at mm -hmm. Lang. Um, I think that was in 2013. So we did that together. And it was, it's really great because the, all that's what all the students said. They were mostly seniors, but they all said like, uh, they weren't getting any of this uh, in any of their other classes, even though they were all psychology majors. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah. I think it's a very important part of psychology. Um, and part of why I chose to complete my doctoral studies at, at Adelphi, it has that, you know, psychodynamic, psychoanalytic uh, appreciation. Yeah, it's really hard to find nowadays. It's great Absolutely. that you're able to go to Adelphi. There's so many good people there. Yeah, yeah. And so then after that Y Freud class, I decided to change my major one, one more time to psychology. And, and then, you know, I haven't, haven't left. And you want to talk about this new project that you did with the um, internet and technology and, psych and psychology? Because um, that's how we got started, started talking for the podcast is that with the pandemic, you, you're, the students at Adelphi put together this uh, website that like helps people find referrals for people online and just has well, basically all sides of the argument about like technology and psychology and, and how they do and don't go together well. Yeah, absolutely. So the inspiration for that was a project for a course we were taking in the spring 2021 semester. And so my group decided to focus on um, the, the overlap be between technology, mental health, um, and COVID-19. And I focused on telehealth and teletherapy. And I was also inspired by this thread on uh, Dasun Behagen um, that Ezra Feinberg posted. And I believe the subject line for that was a question on the office um and and it's a big question um and i think it's a hot topic right now a highly debated one um what it does to the frame what it does for for the analyst the therapist the patient um and and it was so great to gather and combine all of these different perspectives that people had um and, and learn from that and then also provide this, you know, living document online for other people to revisit, for other practitioners to, to learn from and, and students as well. It was, I mean, I think our, our um, website was created for doctoral students. That was who we had in mind. 
It's a great resource. I was looking at over earlier today, uh, since we were talking today. Um, yeah, and we'll link to it so that other people can see it as well. And it's so funny how many people on there are from Mbahagan. <laughs> it made me <laughs> glad, though, that, you know, we have made this resource um, that, that things like this can get together. Because, of course, I, like, love and respect all these people. And everybody has such, like, different opinions and different yeah. perspectives. And it was really nice to read them all and, like, think about things in different ways. Um, right. No, absolutely. Um, that I appreciated that, too, that it was um you know it was sort of like a family feud <laughs> we're good at that yeah yeah oh yeah <laughs> been almost 10 years of, of family feuding <laughs> in a constructive debated way <laughs> yeah. that's good and what's the rest of the site besides the telehealth part so other members of my group also focused on different um ways in which technology technology impacted lifestyles during COVID-19. So we have a focus on um, how it impacted parenting um, and, and then also religion um, and religious practices. And, um, and then also um, how topics of race were, were brought up as well. And then how the, the media and the pandemic um, contributed to discussions of that too. So it's, we try to focus on, you know, a lot of different topics and how COVID has impacted them and our conceptualization of them, um, the different questions it's brought up for us. Um, how has it been going to school during the pandemic? Uh, it's been wild. Um, you know, I will say I appreciate not having a travel time. Um, you know, there are definitely days when I wake up five or 10 minutes before class begins. I appreciate that because I need the sleep. Um, but it's also difficult. It's difficult not seeing my cohort um, and, you know, on the daily and having those conversations. But we did manage to meet up quite a bit this summer to make up for lost time. Um, I don't know if you can ever really make up for lost time, but there seems to be a lot of it during the pandemic. And then there also seems to be more time. Um, and, and then it's weird because you have this, you know, you're looking at yourself the whole time. So, you know, just like teletherapy, I feel like I'm just playing myself like I'm playing different characters of myself as a therapist or or as a student and then I switch back and forth um so quickly that it's difficult to keep track of how many times I change hats in the course of a day um, right because you're still in the same place like in your house or yeah. in whatever room at the same station no matter what you're doing there's no like sense of like now I'm in the classroom now I'm in an office or right I mean, I guess I could change the virtual background, but <laughs> but it's not quite the same. Um, and it's too much clicking buttons and and this whole thing with the you know the video camera and um, you know you can there's this option on Zoom where you can like switch to see how your face appears like the mirror view versus mm. the camera view. I guess 
It sort of reminds me of your switching mirrors, but yeah, you switch the, <laughs> the camera and, and there's this whole TikTok trend on that too. Um, of like how symmetrical people's faces are when you do that switch. Oh, that's interesting. I haven't done that. I haven't tried that. I haven't gotten on the TikTok yet. Um, I'm not on it. I've no. just <laughs> seen through my sisters. But yeah. I have a study group and there's like, there's a TikTok debate where uh -huh. some people like really don't like TikTok. I think it's like end times. And some people are like, I think that the young people are like, do really trying to do something with TikTok and like it's more mm -hmm. active or like less passive than other social medias and that sort of thing but yeah I just say go with whatever whatever the young people are going with just like let them go why criticize them right What's the problem they all are living through this too let them do whatever they want right <laughs> right yeah and and the name is so interesting too um TikTok uh there's also this <laughs> song by Kesha that I think either mentions TikTok or, I mean, it's a reference to a clock, not the actual app, but. <laughs> yeah, but it's like the clock is ticking. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And there's such short videos as well. So it's, uh, I don't know. It's a good metaphor for the pandemic time, the question of time. Right time being like having too much time and time losing time mm -hmm. having not enough time time being like we said before we started like I can never tell what day it is anymore because I'm always in the same room doing the same things and like what is a weekend versus a weekday is like doesn't it's like all blurred mm -hmm. together at this point yeah it doesn't matter I feel like I'm a cat I sort of like organize my my time based on you know where in the apartment I am on the time of day, so. <laughs> Do you live on Long Island? No, I or don't. I, actually, I live in the city. Um, and I, there was a good part of the pandemic where it was really empty. Um, so, so, I mean, it was uncanny to see Manhattan like that, but it, um, it was also kind of nice, but not for, not for like an extended period of time. Um, it was just nice to, I don't know, experience a sort of like a calmed down version of Times Square. Um, yeah, it's like uh, a good meditative practice to see it like that. <laughs> like, yeah, it must be interesting yeah. to see it cleared out. And I've heard like a lot of the rents have gone down in Manhattan and stuff too, because mm -hmm. a lot of people have like moved out of the city. Mm hmm. Yeah, a lot of a lot of moving trucks on the daily as well. Must be weird. Yeah. What's um, Sweden like? I know we were also talking about. Um, well, I saw and I heard in one of your other podcasts about the fathers with the strollers that <laughs> we really both like. Yeah, I really do love them. Um, now that was in Stockholm and here now I'm in a little town and there's just like nobody with, with strollers or anything else. <laughs> it's just an empty little town. It's, it's, uh, it's very strange, but I think it's nice. And I think on, I only would have been able to do this 
because I'm such a city person and I grew up in Miami, which is like millions of people. Then went to New York, six millions of people. And Stockholm had one and a half million, which felt like a very small city. Mm. Um, and here, you know, in, in Sweden, that's like the big city, you know. And uh, so, so it was, it was like steps. It was a good steps. Miami's hot and crowded. New York has got all the seasons and crowded. And Stockholm had all the seasons less crowded. And now I have all these seasons and. I'm not crowded at all but um I think also I've only been able to do it with the pandemic and like having been inside for a year because I really like have just haven't been going out since it all started it's been a year and a half now right wow and yeah uh, I go for my daily walk that's what I did in Stockholm now I, I go for a bike ride in the morning which is nice and yeah other than that I'm just inside so it's just like basically not much has changed in my day-to-day routine except for like now I have space to walk around and I can go from room to room instead of just being in like me and having me and my husband and his 22 year do- or old daughter all in the same like small two bedroom apartment two mm-hmm. bedroom one bath apartment in Stockholm. <laughs> right. so that's a big difference now we all have space and so we can be in our own rooms that's good yeah (laughs) that is definitely um you know I I have a newfound appreciation for for space for having different rooms right yeah now I can be now I'm in the blue room with this wallpaper over there's I call the pink room has rose wallpaper (laughs) um yeah and I even have two different rooms I can sleep in because there is there is this phenomenon in Sweden in small town Sweden which my husband had told me about before we moved, but I didn't really understand it. So this is interesting. There's this thing called ragare. And mm-hmm. um, it's basically this obsession with 1950s um, uh, United States America, where mm-hmm. the guys have like old 1950s cars and they soup them up and they listen to like 1950s songs, but they're in Swedish, <laughs> which I find really hilarious. Uh-huh. Um, right. so like classic like rock and roll songs except for they're in Swedish but they don't have the the uh hooks in Swedish so like the chorus will be like in English but the rest of the song <laughs> will be in Swedish and then the guys are all they're basically like greasers where they have like the greaser hair and like the shirt with like the sleeves cut off and like you know jeans and they're like 1950s cars but I guess all the guys that do this are now a, a bit getting a bit older and so now there's like a younger generation of kids mm-hmm. doing it like probably late teens early 20s and they're not they don't have the 50s cars they just have like you know Miami they'd soup up like Hondas or something but like here they soup up Volvos because that's like the local car uh-huh. <laughs> so just like Volvos souped up but they're like dropped like dropped Volvos you know um and like in Miami when I was when I was growing up you know, they would drop cars like Cadillacs or Hondas or Toyotas and put like these like fluorescent lights underneath them and stuff like that and play like, you know, hip hop music, music with a lot of bass. But here it's like kind of like 1950s music, but uh, but Swedish, I don't know. It's really mm-hmm. bizarre. And these kids, even though it's a quiet little town where there's nothing at like right when I'm trying to go to sleep, like right around midnight, they all come out and like drive around and like drag race right down the street. So there's wow. a lot of like drag racing going on. <laughs> so I basically feel like I've gone back in time. Um, and I was telling my dad about it and he's like, yeah, that's what we used to do when we were kids. And I'm like, yeah, it's basically <laughs> like I've gone back 
into the 1950s and there's people like drag racing and listening to like classic rock and roll and then putting it on tiktok right they're probably putting (laughs) it on tiktok exactly (laughs) because you gotta stay relevant (laughs) exactly um yeah and i i don't you know they don't i mean they, they bother me when i'm trying to sleep because of course but like I don't like they don't really bother me because it's like what else are these kids supposed to do here like I don't can't imagine if I was 18 in a town of 10,000 people what would I be doing probably that you know probably yeah yeah, getting drunk somewhere in a field or whatever I don't know (laughs) I mean I guess they could be an analysis (laughs) there's no analysts here (laughs) <laughs> only me oh, that's I'm it the, I'm the only one <laughs> but I don't see anybody in person anymore so that brings us back around full circle mm-hmm. <laughs> right I do everything online now so yeah no there's no analysts here no. yeah <laughs> there's Oops, no so in our analytic community <laughs> it's just me <laughs> you are Unbehagen in Sweden Unbehagen in Sweden yeah it's it it's me <laughs> the Swedish outpost. <laughs> but so, what is that? What is that like for? Like, how does that work for you? The um, transition to that. Well, I have the podcast now, so that's good. Right. Um, but that's basically the podcast is basically like my social life and my like collegial life. <laughs> like, this is it. It's like this is when I hang out and I talk to people. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, because that's basically it. I don't really have any friends in Sweden um, and yeah all my colleagues are in New York and other places I have a study group once a month um, so I see people there but that's about it yeah but I'm also okay with it I'm like very glad that I had the 10 years in New York and that we made Umbahagen and I got to be so close with like Jameson and have an office and uh, and all of that and yeah I think it was like really generative and great like I moved to New York when I was 31 was there from like 31 to 40 um so it was yeah it was good it was a good time like for that age to like build a career so that I could like bring the career like one of the things I talked about in on your site is like that's something I think a lot of people don't think about that haven't moved is that Mm -hmm. Um, this is a business this is a practice that you can actually take with you um, so yeah so for me it was like a lifesaver to be a psychoanalyst people move countries and they're going to keep moving countries especially with uh, more and more migration and with global warming and yeah no that's a that's a great point I mean even you know forget even just New York City and the moving around you're right people move states you know countries and I'm sure it's happened it's not it's not that widely discussed no and the other thing is um like I don't know how it is in the states but between states that you know you're only supposed to practice in your state but what I heard like a lot of people um saying is like their their patients were moving to a different state because of COVID or like they were going home from school or something and how does that work can you still keep seeing them and you know the insurance companies had to start thinking about that and um how that's regulated so I think that's just something that with technology that they have to start thinking about more in a more like global fashion of like, okay, if you want to regulate this and you want to charge insurance, I don't use insurance, obviously. Um, But for people that do, 
like what's going to happen when something like that happens when your patient moves back across states if somebody needs to find a new therapist because they had to go home because of the pandemic (laughs) right right and also like like that also always makes me think of like what's really the point like what are people Mm -hmm. focusing on if you're really focusing on people's mental health then you shouldn't want them to have to change therapists just because they have to go home because of a crisis. You know, if anything, yeah. you should want to make sure they still have their therapist and you, they can yeah. still have their therapist because we have telehealth. So yeah, these are all things yeah, to think about and, and that, you know, of course, the regulations are always slow, slow to catch up, but mm-hmm. we'll see how they do. Hopefully. They yeah. Do right. You don't want to create more barriers to treatment if, if, you know, someone's in need of that um yeah I'm all for more avenues to treatment so Mm -hmm. in the whole like debate of like you know I don't think telehealth should replace like offices Mm -hmm. and psychoanalysis and offices and but I just think that it's another tool that you can use you know that could end up for people that may poo-poo it at one point you know maybe you'll end up getting married and moving countries and then be really glad Mm -hmm. that it exists (laughs) you know you never know (laughs) no I I mean I noticed the the shift happened in myself as well I never thought I'd like or even be open-minded to telehealth um teletherapy but I mean it's been it's been a connector it um I think in the beginning it was a little more exhausting because there's the whole denial of of the absence of the two bodies in the room because you're still looking um, at two people or you still hear another voice. But but for the most part, I really do think it's been beneficial um, to create continued, sustained connections. Yeah, that's a great way to put it. Um, yeah. But it's always interesting, you know, when there's technology introduced to the frame and even with this, you know, even if there's like recorded sessions, um, whether it's like doctoral students recording for their supervision or um, for research, I think it's always interesting to see how it impacts, you know, both people and and then other people reading about it. Um, I'm thinking of the latest project that Jameson Webster, Wilma Bucci and I worked on, um, which became the most recently published edition of Division Review for summer 2021. And so it was based on a fully recorded six-year analysis of this woman named Mrs. C. And she attended treatment with her her analyst, uh, who was based in Manhattan. And she attended five days a week. So we selected about eight sessions or so, and we asked six different analysts to, to read these transcribed sessions from the recordings, um, providing different theoretical perspectives and commenting in a Freudian, Bionian, Winnicottian, Laplangian, Kleinian, perspective lens um and then we also have Wilma's research perspective and um I don't know it came together really well it was interesting to see what these recordings did for Mrs. C um 
whether it became, you know, this point of reference as a joke that um, the recordings were symbolic of, or were a signifier of his penis and they do joke about this in session or some sort of like trans transitional object um, because she did mention this these recordings and wanting to have them and keep them um, right before his August vacation so it's it, yeah it was it was a great um, way of sort of you know, being privy to these sessions and, and seeing the different role of um, the different ways technology can, can play a role in an analysis. That's so interesting. And how did that project come about? It was based off of an event, I believe that was at IPTAR. Um, and <laughs> are you familiar with the event at IPTAR or? I don't think so. Okay. I remember one when David Lichtenstein and it's something that we did at the new school. I don't know. It was a long time ago, but where they talked like it was when Miriam was still alive. Um, but uh, they talked about like the same patient session from like three different perspectives. Um, and it just showed like how different each analyst like saw the case based on their kind of theoretical orientation, which was really interesting. Yeah. So it's based off of uh, the event at Iptar that happened um, that that you described. Um, so. Yeah, so it was based on something that uh, at Iptar where different theorists uh, looked at the same case and were, were able to see different things in the case based on their different theoretical orientations. Yeah. That's very cool. And um, I love that Division Review has become such a resource because David, David Lichtenstein was my supervisor and I love David Lichtenstein and I love what he did with Division Review and he's always of course been a big supporter of Mbahagen. He wrote about us. Uh, the first time we were written about was because David wrote about it in his, as an editor of Division Review. And now Lauren Dend is the editor and I love Lauren mm -hmm. as well. And he's gonna be on the podcast soon as is Hannah Zeven who's going to talk about her book on uh, technology and telehealth therapy uh, yeah which I'm also excited to get ordered it I'm waiting for it to come in the mail and and I also included a link of that on our on our website project as well it's like the perfect book for the times perfect um and how is it for you working on this project it was a long project um and so it was it was so worth it to finally see it um, in digital, tangible view. Um, and we're really excited to share it with everyone. Um, yeah, it, it was really fun to read all the different perspectives um, and, you know, from different orientations and, and to read all of the transcribed sessions as well. Um, and to also notice how I'm reading it or how I'm, um, you know, imagining who, who these people are. Um, so it became sort of like a Rorschach of some sort. And, you know, uh, based on based on what I wanted to see at the time or what I needed to see in, in her or through her analysis. 
That's interesting as well because like Gila Goffe, he gave a talk for Umbohagen a while back and he talked about like kind of the case against ever having case presentations because it's always like the analyst picking and choosing like based on the material, like what they want to use to kind of make their own point and have their own point <laughs> of view um, or what they're trying to say about the case. But in this case, you have the actual transcripts so you could probably still cherry pick um, parts of it or like see certain parts more than others based on your theoretical lens, but at least all the material is there um, and it's not totally like siphoned out. And that must be really interesting to like have the actual material and to see like, what does the Kleinian say about it versus the Freudian or the Bionian, um, for example, or the Laplacian. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and we do also quote, um, so it's whenever, you know, it's being referenced, there's, there's a quote there to the actual point of reference in the session, which is, I think, really interesting for readers to see. Um, and Wilma's research was also fun in this because she, um, she sort of lined up whenever each analyst would reference. Um, so we had to put together all the different times when each analyst referenced a, a part of the session. And she saw how they overlapped and what they what each person decided to focus on and um, if there were more points of concentration for for the sessions, you know, for different parts of her analysis um, compared to others. And and then based on her referential process, um, what, what the database or what the computer decided to focus on as well. Oh, so that's interesting too. So it's been run through some sort of algorithm that kind of picks out different uh, themes or, or points. Yeah. That's so interesting. That's the thing too, like I, I don't do that at all anymore, but like I used to be really into the Rorschach and I used to be really into psychological testing. And like, I had a professor in grad school that taught us like the very projective sense of the Rorschach before he taught us like the Exner system of the Rorschach um, so mm -hmm. that we could see the difference. And of course the, the projective, like as a pure projective is really interesting, just like coming up with your own interpretations. But when you see, when you put it into the Exner system and you really analyze it that way, I don't know how Exner and these people figure things like that out, but like it, it really, really works. And like, I remember having one, like my clinical competency exam case that I had to present at the end of my training. Um, I hadn't seen her for like three years, twice a week. And because I was in the psychodynamic clinic there and, uh, we didn't test her in the beginning, but for the clinical competency exam, I gave her like a full battery of tests. Well, I didn't give it to her because I was her therapist, but I, I asked a colleague mm -hmm. to do it, another student to do it. And then we analyzed the results and it was like so much that was in the test that was so true, but it like wasn't obvious in the beginning when I started seeing her, but it was like, if I had had this test in the beginning of seeing her, like she it said so much about her that I learned over the three years 
Um, but it said it said it right there, the test. So if we had given her that test in the beginning, it would have been kind of all out and open in the beginning. And of course, there's lots of different ways you can think about that. But it was really true. Like, I really like I got to know her without the test. And um, the things that I learned over time, like how much aggression she had, that really wasn't obvious to me in the beginning. But at the end, was very obvious yeah <laughs> um, things like that the Rorschach was like aggression aggression you know uh, things like wow. that so yeah it's so interesting how that can happen and, and it's a totally different kind of way of thinking um and research but it it works too Mm-hmm. And, you know, sometimes I'm skeptical about the Exner approach and um, it almost reads sort of like a horoscope when it comes out and I'm like, okay, I can make this fit somehow. <laughs> but um, yeah, it, it is, I think we always want to know what, um, you know, more about ourselves and whether that's found through horoscopes or Rorschach's, you know, psych- psychological testing or um analysis or you know other other means of approach I think um, people are always in, in search of that and I know in you know in Macedonia when people drink like Turkish coffee um, the the residue of the coffee sort of sits at the bottom and then they flip over the cup I don't know if you've yeah they read seen, it yeah they read it yeah mm. um, <laughs> I don't know how I mean I'm sure everyone has their own exner approach to reading <laughs> Turkish coffee, but um, but it's I love fun. All that stuff. Yeah, <laughs> and I love it too. I mean, I even remember, and you know, in my childhood, and when we would sort of like you look at each other's wrists, and you sort of like squeeze the wrist a little to see how many children you're gonna have. Oh, I don't know. So cool. It, yeah, I know <laughs> what you're talking about. I didn't think of it that way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, my friend Caitlin, she she reads tea leaves and she also um does palm readings. And I actually got she does she'll like she won't just read your palm, but you send her photos of your palms and she'll uh look at it and actually draw your palm like as an artwork. So we just got oh. them framed. We had her do mine mine and Carl's and we just got them framed and hung them up. They look so nice. But she just goes, I guess she's got like a bunch of books on it. And she just goes through like each line in the drawing of your hand and then like writes in her beautiful like handwriting, like what it means about you. And like the what 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 mine says and what Carl says, they're not the same. Like they say different things mm-hmm. um that fit us, but she also knows us, so who knows? But I love them. <laughs> and I wonder how much you know that change that also changes um the palm reading based off of the pandemic do you like send a picture of your palm and have yeah that's what the results come back yeah just a photo now (laughs) then you get your reading in the mail Mm -hmm. (laughs) then you have a beautiful artwork for your house Right. We've been we've been describing our house as a cabinet of curiosities because we have so many kind of fun objects like that, um, and so now when I'm we have a lot more space than we have things, which is nice. And the first mm-hmm. time that's ever happened to me, um, so we actually like are looking for things for the house, and uh, I'm keeping that lens in mind, like what fits the cabinet of curiosities theme <laughs> for the house. <laughs> pretty fun palm palm reading drawings do that fits (laughs) yeah 
I, I know you post a lot of uh, interesting things that I imagine fit into this, you know, whole theme of, of curiosity. I like that for a house. Yeah, um, it's fun. I, this house is so old. It's from 1726. So oh, wow. it's like, it's older than the United States, but it's also <laughs> kind of fun. Um, and the main, it had some, the main part is from 1726. And then it has a second story and an addition built in 1884. So also coming from Miami, which I just learned was incorporated in 1896. <laughs> um, wow. It's just very different because there's like no old buildings in Miami. Um, and this is a very, very old house. Mm -hmm. How many stories? It's two it? stories. Okay. And but it also has a cellar. Nice. Yeah. And it's built like on this like stone foundation. Like the, the it's built on like these giant stones, um, which I think is what makes it so sturdy. And then it's so it's kind of up on like a little little rise. It's not like a hill, but it's like a little rise off the street. So it's nice. It's it sounds different. beautiful. Yeah. Yeah, I like it. Very different. So if I have to be inside. For another pandemic year which looks like we do then we may as well be here yeah yeah and that's another thing now i guess all the universities are scrambling to come up with um how to prepare for for another year and what to do um you know whether vaccines are required or not remote in person hybrid yeah do you know what your school's doing yet i don't know when do you finish? Uh, still have a ways to go. I have about four more years, if everything goes according to plan. <laughs> according to, plan. <laughs> according to their plan, you know, <laughs> the recommended plan. Yeah, but I'm I'm excited. I'm gonna extern at Iptar this this year. Oh, and cool. Yeah, so it'll be fun to be in that environment. Um, and from what I know right now, that will be in person. So I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, it feels great. And there's a lot of great people there. Yeah. And they have different theoretical orientations, which is nice. Not just yes. like one lens. Right. So I, I wonder, you know, what that's going to be like. Um, so I'm excited. I'm excited to be in that environment for, for externship. Um, so one other project that I'm working on with my research mentor, Carolyn Springer at uh, Derner, um, is this project, project where we're working with um, the Office of Population Affairs um, to, the, the goal um, is to reduce um, rapid repeat teenage pregnancy in in areas in Queens where there is a lot of high uh, rates of rapid repeat teenage pregnancy. And my role in this project is to observe some of the sessions that, that are happening in these interventions with these young girls. And it, it's been, I mean, it's been a really moving uh, uh, experience to, to observe and, and see just this level of empowerment for for these young girls um these these young ladies I was going to even say women but I don't know when one becomes a woman um whereas Beauvoir would say one is 
not born but becomes a woman so it, it it's been a great um experience for me and and I think it's and it's you know we just got started on it this summer but uh so far so good um and and I spent most of my life in Queens so um I wasn't born in Queens I was born in Macedonia but I, I was sort of raised in Queens so it's nice to sort of give back to that community in in that way or to be with the community um in that sort of way yeah, and I'm sure also very eye-opening. Um, it is. Mm -hmm. And one session of the intervention is when the moms have a chance to write a letter to their baby, um, and she's also touching. And, and then the graduation ceremony at the end when they complete the whole intervention program is also really rewarding to to witness and observe and I mean I'm not really interacting in these sessions that I'm observing but it's still um you know a felt a very felt experience and how did the work get started is it your mentor that's like start starting this program or working in this program or yeah she she started it and she asked uh, if I had any interest in being a research assistant and I did um and I'm glad I committed to this project as well. And that's great too. Well, let's ask her if she wants to come on the podcast one day and talk about her work. Absolutely. That would be great. This is a formal request. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> so Carolyn, if you're listening. <laughs> come on the podcast and talk about your work. Yeah. Um. I just have to talk about Macedonia now because Macedonia is one of my husband's favorite countries and really? some of his best friends live there and he talks about it all the time and I can't wait to go because he's really hyped it um, and he actually he's he makes films and he's filmed part of uh, one of his films there and all the actors in it are his friends in Macedonia because he just like he like brought a, a Swedish actor down and then he just basically like got all his friends to be actors <laughs> in, the rest, in the rest of it. And uh, they're all amazing and like really creepy. It's a really kind of creepy <laughs> movie. Um, and they all like scared me, but he's like, no, they're all the nicest people. But now when I meet them, I'm going to like have these characters that they played in my mind, you know, and be like, no, oh, that's the like creepy rapist guy. But like, yeah. he's like, no, he's a doctor and he's like so nice. And <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, it looks amazing. And he, he talks about it all the time. He, he always wants to go there. Yeah. I feel, I feel like now I have to, um, adopt some sort of pride, like as if it's, you know, um, yeah, no, Macedonia is, is, is great. It's beautiful. Um, I, there are aspects of the culture, which uh, I feel like brought me into the field of psychology, psychoanalysis. Um, I think it's great for, for a filmmaker um, and, and also great for people who want to analyze the culture. Um, I definitely think there needs to be more access to treatment there. Speaking of access to treatment, I'm, I'm sure many people can benefit from analysis and just even, you know, like therapy in general. Um, so, so yeah. 
I'll send you the film and you can see uh, see what you think. It's creepy though, I'll tell you. Because actually Carl sent it to me before we were dating when we were just friends. And I watched it with my friend Caitlin again. I remember being at her house and I was like, oh, Carl sent me this film, let's watch it. And now the, the version that you'll see is, is like shorter theatrical version, but he sent me the original version, which was much longer. And so it was like even creepier because it was like one of those really like long, like tense kind of films where you're just like waiting for something bad to happen, you know? Uh-huh. And there was a lot of buildup, whereas like the theatrical release version is like, it's like much faster paced. So like, you don't have to like wait for the horror so much. It like comes pretty quick. um but it's black and white and it's really beautifully shot and it's shot in macedonia yeah send it to me um yeah i (laughs) i think creepy films are the best kind oh great you'll like it then (laughs) it's pretty creepy i remember sitting there talking to caitlin i was like i was like and i usually don't get disturbed that easily um but i was like this is really i'm pretty disturbed like this is really messed up (laughs) she's like yeah (laughs) <laughs> so anyway and then I was like let me marry that guy who made that thing <laughs> love story sure why not love it. <laughs> that's a very that's a very disturbing mind that created this film I love it I'm so interested <laughs> <laughs> I want to spend the rest of my life get, with get it. to know that mind better mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah that's that's me that's what I did <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like me too though <laughs> I have a fascination with Harley Quinn. Um, because it, yeah, yeah. So I feel like that's the same. She sees the Joker and she's like, What a fucked up mind! Love it, I love I, it. I love it. <laughs> but she was also, well, in one of the films, she was a psychologist too, wasn't she? And yeah. she like met him and he was a patient, I think. Mm-hmm. Harley. At Arkham Asylum, yeah, right at Arkham Asylum, of course, yeah. Mm-hmm. See, it all fits together. Yeah, I still had that in high school. They used to have this, the Batman the Animated Series. I used to love the Batman the Animated Series. Mm-hmm. And they used to have this, uh, like, jail. It was like a box that you would open like this. And you could see all the little figures in it, like the action figures. And it had, like, all the bad guys in this, like, one package. That was the Arkham Asylum, like, prison. I used to love that oh, wow. thing. It, and what, you had that? I had that when I was like 17. Wow. Mm-hmm. Do you still have it? I don't. I actually sold, I was in 12th grade. I got really into comic books and toy collecting. Um, basically is like a survival strategy, I think, because Miami's kind of hectic, <laughs> hectic place <laughs> to grow up. And so instead of going into like the more self-destructive modes, I got really like self-preservation mode in 12th grade and like just like became a total nerd and like went to the comic book store every Friday night. They used to have like Magic the Gathering card night and we used to go play Magic the Gathering cards. Um, And that's like when Pokemon had just come out. I'm dating myself. And and, like the littler kids would play like Pokemon and then like the teenagers, we would play Magic the Gathering. And it was actually also when the X-Files just started. So we used to watch the X-Files live like the first season. every Friday it was on Friday so we would all go into the back of the comic book store where the comic book owner had a tv and we would watch the x-files there on Friday nights and that's how I spent my senior year of high school 
which was actually probably very smart um, I because agree. I graduated. So that was good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that, that, that reminds me of my boyfriend and his recollection of, you know, comic book, um, uh, comic book life in, in high school as well. And he also graduated. So, <laughs> so, so it worked. worked. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. I got it. I got, it was, I was very sober. We didn't even really drink any beers. We did smoke a lot of cigarettes. Um, yeah, we just hung out at the comic book store. And actually, the guy who ran the comic book store, I met him because my job, my high school job was working at Specs Music and Records, of course. So I worked at the <laughs> record store, and the record store had a um, video section. This is also when VHS, like, just like like when you could actually buy movies on VHS like Pulp Fiction uh, uh, when that yeah. just started which also dates me um and Pulp Fiction I remember was $99 it was $99 for VHS what? of Pulp Fiction yeah that's how it was <laughs> wow yeah so if you wanted to buy a movie and watch it at home it cost $99 um yeah that's how so it you're was. better off going to the theater it's so, oh definitely it's so different now it's great it's, it is. is better um but yeah watching the technology evolve was interesting um mm-hmm. yeah and so he mark he ran the video store and then he bought this store that went out of business next door and opened up this comic book store so that's how i met the comic book owner because we used to work together at the record store and he's actually still a friend of mine which is really cute because he wasn't Aww. that much older than us maybe like 10 years older um and like when I had my first book the switching mirrors book when that came out um and I had a a book launch in Miami my in my hometown like in Coconut Grove where I grew up um Mm -hmm. that's that's such a fun name which was so cute yeah switching mirrors yeah and also you said Coconut Grove Coconut Grove I love that (laughs) yeah that's where I'm from it's actually the oldest part of Miami um well the oldest colonized part of Miami I guess because I guess the whole world is the same age actually Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, actually but um as far as like incorporated or like settled area it was the first like settled area of Miami um but of course there were native people living there before um that actually like really completely wiped out which is really depressing the more I've read I've read so much about it over the years because I as every person of the United States should have like a horrible sense of like guilt and like depression over mm-hmm. what's happened to the indigenous population um and actually learn like growing up in Florida they uh is like the Seminole and the Miccosukee but what I learned is that like like Miami actually was and mm-hmm. um Tequesta which is another city in Florida and Biscayne which like Miami's on Biscayne Bay these are all names of like people that live there that have basically not they don't exist anymore like they've all been killed and the and the one, people that are still there the Seminoles and the Miccosukee they actually came from like northern Florida and like Georgia and like Tennessee and North Carolina like that area and they were just constantly like pushed down and down into Florida through these like wars um, which actually weren't that long ago like the Seminole Wars were like in the late 1800s which is wow. like like here like that's as old as my house right like right, right. <laughs> it's like the house. wars are more recent than the house that I'm in right now so like here in Sweden it's like the late 1800s is like yesterday but in the states they act like that's like ancient history but it's not it's like really recent actually mm-hmm. um yeah so that's yeah. depressing 
And one more question about Sweden. Um, so the movie that I love, Midsommar, um, have you seen it? Oh, yes. We saw that yes. in the theater. <laughs> what did course. you think of it? Um, well, if you ever want to come to Midsommar, you're welcome. We have a cottage. You can stay. Uh-huh. And I've been to a few here. They're not like that, but <laughs> they, it is their biggest holiday still. Um, it's Midsummer. And they basically, they do make flower crowns and mm-hmm. the, the pole, they make a big pole. It's like a fertility rite, or fertility ritual where they put like this giant pole in the ground with these two huge kind of wreaths of flowers hanging off of it. And the women mm-hmm. go around and like decorate the pole with flowers and they all like dance and sing in a circle like they did in a movie around this pole. That's, that's a real thing. Um, yeah, and Carl, I mean, I actually thought, I was like, oh, this is kind of ridiculous, but Carl's like, no, <laughs> that's possible. <laughs> Maybe not the very end, you know, but like uh-huh. the people like jumping off when they got a certain age, he's like, yeah, people used to do that. I was like, what? So mm-hmm. yeah, Carl loved it. I, I loved it too. I, I take it that you, you weren't as big of a fan of it? I was more ambivalent about it than Carl was. Um, okay. But I think for that reason, because I thought, like, why would they portray the Swedes like that? But the Carl's mm-hmm. like, no, that's fair. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess so. Um, I really like, uh, wait, Ari Aster, he uh-huh. did also the same movie. Um, Hereditary? Hereditary. I like that yeah. too, but also at the end got a little too much. I think <laughs> Ari Aster, I don't want to say he could use psychoanalysis, but he's got a very like psychoanalytic way of thinking, which I really <laughs> like, but he just yeah. needs to like stop a little earlier. That's what I would say. <laughs> like he just keeps going and he's like, I'm going to keep going there and going there. But I think if he just like stopped a little earlier, he would like cut, you know, cut it and leave the suspense. I think that would work better because like mm-hmm. with hereditary, you know, like I don't think we needed to see them like go into the treehouse at the end and like be worshiping the guy. Like it would have been better if it was left open where you didn't know like, is he possessed? Is he this king? Like what's going on? Is everyone every is everyone insane? You know, like I think if they left like an open question, that mm-hmm. would like he would be even more popular. But it, clearly, he's doing pretty well. So what do I know? Well, maybe he could benefit from like the scansion. Um, Just cut it a little earlier and leave a little bit more suspense. Right. Leave the desire there. Yeah, exactly. Don't tell us exactly what happened. The same thing with the end of Midsummer. Like you don't need to tell us what happened inside when it's burning. Like just like stop a little bit, a little bit earlier to leave people like wondering what, what's happening. And that's why I actually like um, he's friends or I associate the two with the person who did the lighthouse. So I can't remember his name, but I really liked the lighthouse. I thought that was a really good film, but he also did one about witches that I can't remember. Oh, the witch. It was called the witch. Mm-hmm. Um, I haven't seen that. Yeah. He also did the guy who did the lighthouse also did one called the witch uh, where it has like this talking goat. You'll Interesting. You, should, you should watch it. But oh, it's the okay. same exact thing where it was like, it was like pretty, well, that one was actually kind of Christian and I really don't like Christianity. So I got mm-hmm. really like tired mm-hmm. of everyone being so Christian, but people were, they were then so, and they didn't really have a choice. Um, so I got really tired of the Christianity, but like also like at the end, he like shows a scene that I think like you 
I don't think you should show the thing. You should leave the, the veil. I like the veil where you can wonder what, what the scene is. But the, both of those directors, writer directors, they show, they show the scene instead of like letting you peek and not really be able to see it. Right. So I think a little bit more mystery would go a long way. But obviously, like I said, they're both doing very well and have lots more everything than I do. So what do I know? Well, I mean, if they want to do even better, they would take our word for it. <laughs> yeah, but they also do both have good psychological thinking. They do. Which I really yeah. appreciate. And I can say that about Swedish films, too, in general. Um, I've been watching a lot more Swedish films because that's how I'm learning the language. And uh, how, they Do have, you know it? They have good, the language? I'm getting there. I'm getting there to where I mostly speak Swedish when I'm not working. So that's good. Some things I still don't can't say, like when I'm trying to express myself, but I'm getting there. Um, but uh, yeah, Swedish films, they're much more like psychologically interesting. Like it's made me realize how American films are very like violent and like they kind of just like shock you. There's a lot of like physical sensations and like kind of, I don't know, just feel like they're shocking you all the time. Yeah. And Swedish films don't really have that. They're not like they're not like high powered, like shocking blockbusters, but they're more like psychologically interesting. Um, and the characters seem to be more like tormented and there's more like range and kind of depth I feel, mm -hmm. but they're not as like flashy. Right, American films are like the Milgram's experiment <laughs> of, the, <laughs> of the film world. Yeah, they're really shocking. And I actually just can't even, ever since, I don't know if you've noticed in, in any of the podcasts or anything, but my, one of my friends was killed last year. And since she was yeah. killed, um, I just can't really tolerate like, like lots of violence in films. Like I still right. like creepy films or being scared, but I don't, I don't like seeing like people get overly hurt in a physical mm -hmm. way. Like just too much gratuitous violence. I just like, I, I can't really stomach it anymore. Um, and there's a lot of that in American films mm -hmm. and it's not really necessary. It's just like people like doing the effects and like even hearing the sounds, you know, and they're like stabbing someone. Like, I don't really need to hear someone be stabbed. Like I get it. Right. And I feel like the Swedish films, they're more like, like, you know, someone got stabbed, but you don't have to like see it or hear it or like feel it. You just like, no, like, okay, mm -hmm. someone, they still kill people. It's still murder mysteries, but they're not like, so it's the same thing. You don't have to see it. You just like, mm -hmm. like no, it's there. That's enough. Right. Yeah. No, I still look away. I still cover my eyes through all of that. I can't stomach much of it either. Mm -mm. It's too much. Now, is there anything else that you wanted to say? That wasn't what you <laughs> no. expected, was it? <laughs> no, it wasn't. It totally went. <laughs> Wherever. Exploded everywhere, yeah. <laughs> it's more fun that way it is yeah I know I think that that's all but thank you so much for having me on um it was a lot of fun um <laughs> a lot more fun than I thought I should be nervous for yeah more fun than expected it's not a yeah. test it's not a paper or a lecture you're not but being graded <laughs> right. right but it is projective identification <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for listening to Rendering Unconscious. 
You've just heard a discussion with Elena Petrovska. For more, check out the Th- Psychology of COVID pages at Adelphi University, including specifically Elena's work on technology and teletherapy at the Psychology of COVID-19. You can also check out the latest issue of Division Review, a quarterly psychoanalytic forum through APA Division 39. Links to everything can be found in the text accompanying this episode. You can visit my website, drvanessasinclair.net, or the podcast main website, renderingunconscious.org, for links and more information. You can also follow me on Twitter and Instagram at rawsin underscore. That's R-A-W-S-I-N underscore. Rendering Unconscious is also a book. Rendering Unconscious, Psychoanalytic Perspectives, Politics, and Poetry from Tripart Books 2019. For more information, you can visit our publisher's website, tripart.net. That's T-R-A-P-A-R-T dot net. You can support the podcast at our Patreon, patreon.com forward slash Vanessa 23 Carl. That's V-A-N-E-S-S-A 2-3-C-A-R-L. Your support is very appreciated. Thank you so much for supporting Rendering Unconscious Podcast and all of my other creative endeavors.